Welcome to another episode of the Programmatic Digest podcast. We have Kurt Donnell from Freestar on the podcast today, and I'm really excited to talk to you, Kurt. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I am very much looking for this conversation because we're going to talk about a couple of things. Talk about emerging tech. What is the new of the new for Freestar, but also from an industry perspective. And then we're going to talk about this really dope, actually those dope programs that you have internally to help your team grow and to help acquire more talent without any limitation. But before we get into those two topics, give us a little bit about who Kurt is, what you do, also how you landed where you landed today. Yeah, a, a lot there. Um, I think like most people had a long and winding road into ad tech. I started <laughs> my career as a lawyer, of all things. Oh, wow. Realized, cool. Sort of cool. Realized about day three of that. That was not my calling in life. So uh made a, a pivot after years of that. I actually worked at large law firms for well, wow. seven or eight years. Had the chance to work on a bunch of different things. I kind of was a tax attorney against my will for about a year and a half. Long story there that, that we don't have time for today, but... <laughs> Really did what I thought I wanted to do for a while, which would be a mergers and acquisitions attorney, primarily did corporate law, a little bit of real estate um, along the way, but did that for seven or eight years, realized I really wanted to be on the business side of things. I had this theory in life going to law school and doing corporate law that you got to help structure these crazy transactions and everything. <laughs> and I came to find out the business people make all the decisions and the lawyers just write it down. And so <laughs> I wanted people be on that the building the transaction side, not the writing it down piece. So about, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe like longer than that. Now I had the chance to go in-house at a digital media company at the time it was called She Knows Media. Now She Media that's owned by Penske. Um, oh, nice. Independent at the time. And so learned the advertising space pretty quickly, went from being hired as the lawyer to running the business development team and then ran audience development and corporate development where we bought a bunch of things and sort of ended up in a COO-ish position at that company. So that's where I cut my teeth on the media side. Um, this was 2012 to 2017 I was there. So it was really wow. kind of the time where the rise of programmatic happened. And so yeah, I got like to see that. Data. Whole... Big data was hot. Mobile advertising was just come starting, I remember. Oh, yeah. Video, like the rise of video, YouTube. YouTube became a little these... sexier for, for advertisers. It was messy, Indeed. but it was sexier. Yeah, so that's how I, I cut my teeth on it. Uh, left the industry for a couple of years, went and helped take a yoga company public, of all things. It was a roll-up of yoga studios. So <laughs> I was flying around the company your country, taking yoga class, buying yoga studios. And then I guess the ad tech bug was still in me and had the chance to jump on board as CEO of Freestar about four and a half years ago. And it's been an amazing ride since then. So interesting journey into and then continuing on into more ad tech. That is really cool. Okay, cool. So I like to ask that question, how did you land in programmatic? Because most people that I ask this question to always have very interesting stories, just like yours. Like they accidentally landed in ad tech, just like For you. Sure. <laughs> or like me, they were lucky enough to find an agency or, or you know, a company to train them from scratch. Yep. So there was no like, I'm going to graduate from programmatic master of something and then find you know, <laughs> a job somewhere um so yeah so so i love love, love asking this question so what is your 
your definition of what you do to like a five-year-old. So if you had to ask five-year-old, a five-year-old what Freestar maybe did and what you do at Freestar, how would you tell them? The easiest version and what my kids would probably tell you is I put ads on the internet, which they find annoying in some of their games. There's that. Um, so that's the, the most basic version is we basically power the ads for the website owners, more or less monetization in a box. They do the content. We do the ads, I think is the easiest thing behind that. Obviously there's a lot, um, a lot more details where we actually run the auction. We bring the bidders into the auction. We optimize the auction for the publisher so that they're maximizing the revenue from every impression they bring to market. But we essentially take care of all of the hassle of the advertising side of the house so they can focus on content and audience development, which they tend to be the best at. Got it, got it, got it. So if I had to place you in the Lumascape, you would be on the you wouldn't be on the SSP side, would you? We basically look like one gigantic publisher. We represent hundreds publisher. of publishers and thousands of websites, but we sit below the SSP. We mm -hmm. have relationships with I don't know, 50 or 60 different SSPs and now some DSPs more directly, but we take care of managing all those relationships, collecting all the revenue from the SSPs, and we cut the publisher a single check at the end of the month. So we kind of get rid of the hassle of them having to maintain their own code, maintain all the relationships, chase the accounts receivable from all of these folks and really streamline kind of the revenue function for a publisher. You get down and dirty for those publishers. Got it. We do. We do. We, uh, in some instances, are kind of an extension of their team if they have an in-house ad ops team. And in some instances, we are the entire monetization team for the publisher. So I was going to ask uh, in the podcast, what are your, your take on the most recent headlines, right? So the headlines that I've seen, well, last quarter, I would say Q1 would be the SSP is dying or whatnot. But I find like this topic is now boring. So we're going to talk about something, you know, more promising, more exciting. Like, what do you see emerging in the, in the industry? What do you think? Like, what's your, your, your take one professionally? And then also like, if you want to share what Freestar stands out, but what do you think about what's going, how the industry is moving? I think it relates a little bit to the SSP point you made, and I don't think it's the death of the SSP, but I think <laughs> I don't it, think so too. But when I saw that, I was like, "Come on, come on!" Yeah, oh, I mean, I think really? <laughs> the death of the tier three SSP. Maybe I think <laughs> there is too many people involved that are doing too much reselling, and so I think my answer to that question is. I think we're going through a moment of cleanup right now. I think there's a maturation happening in the market right now, where mm -hmm. for a while, either because people on the buy side were naive or were turning a blind eye or something, there was a lot of waste in the middle of the whole ecosystem. And it allowed SSPs to exist that were only selling to other SSPs. There's not a lot of real value there. I mean, in certain instances, maybe there was interesting targeting layered on there or something. Yeah. I think a lot of that inefficiency is going to get cleaned up in the marketplace. And I think you know, the trade desk has certainly been very vocal about this and mm -hmm. cleaning up the supply path. I think supply path optimization is something that was referenced for a while. I think it's actually happening in 2023, which I think is a good thing. And ideally it will lead to you know better outcomes for advertisers, hopefully more dollars in the publisher's pocket. So both sides win here a little bit. I think yeah. for a while supply path optimizations maybe it was referenced as it's going to hurt the publisher because it's not you know, sending the same impression through 50 different pipes. But I think if we all do a better job of finding the efficient pipes, eliminating some level of the ad tech tax, both sides can win here. So I've actually I been agree. 
pleased to see some of these things happening. I agree because um, it's one of our many, many conversation in our community. So we have a community. Um, most of them do listen to podcasts and we, you know, we just get on calls every Friday, discuss an industry trends. We do mini trainings for, for those buyers and sellers um, and adopts, I would say. And one of the many topics that keep coming up is like the open, the life, <laughs> like what's the future of the open marketplace? And one of the reasons why most buyers are so frustrated is because of the quality of what we're getting in the open exchange. <clears throat> and you're right. One of the main reasons is because of that reselling and upselling and downselling and upgrading of the selling here and there. And one of the exercises we do very often, especially in the program that I mentioned, is that um, especially in the reach and frequency program is optimization and the exercise of looking at data providers, like how do we look at the segments performance or look at the supply vendors or look at the supply cyclists? Like how do you make sure you cut those sites and why and what do you want to cut off, right? Um, or keep bidding on, of course. And sure. one of the one of the the rule of thumb here is like to uncheck because some DSP give you the opportunity to uncheck resellers. Yep. And I always say, like, no matter what the DSP you're using, make sure you uncheck that. Um, it's not always needed, especially for the type of brands we're running. And now you just mentioned this, but brands are no longer ex like looking for impressions. They want very, very targeted, strategic targeting, I would say. Yeah. And the big numbers are not always sexy on the report anymore. It's that bottom line KPI like the ROAS or the CPA or I don't know the, I mean, the something at least there's from no lack of no lack of inventory out there oh. I think there was you know all of the arbitrage sites are made for advertising I believe is a, a nice word we're using for arbitrage now I think that's getting called out a little bit and you know obviously the focus maybe less on reach and more on outcomes or things like that will hopefully clean that piece up too and put the dollars in the hands of quality publishers that are delivering good outcomes for the advertisers. I, I think there's a cleanup happening in many ways, which is yeah, good. I like, I like what uh, you said about cleanup. I think it's important. Um, so how is, um, talk to us about, because I think in our pre, uh, in our intro, you talked about how you are internally or as a company looking at machine learning and how to efficient, yeah. efficiently do things for, for your clients. So talk to us a little bit about what that means. How do you do, how do you do this? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of goes to the supply path thing a mm -hmm. little bit. Different bidders are going to perform better on different sites. And then even within that, obviously, whether they are client side or server side bidding, they're going to perform differently. And so we built some technology that really optimizes which yeah. bidders are allowed into the auction. And even as a subset of that, whether they are offered on the server side or the client side and sort of dynamically selecting the right bidders for the right not just site, but the right audience mm -hmm. down to almost the user level. And then some other things like dynamic timeouts, for instance, if we can detect somebody's on a slower connection speed, might want to extend the timeout a little bit, give the chance for more bidders to get in there, more competition, because it's not going to be slowing down the page versus faster. Obviously, we want to make sure that we deliver that impression as quickly as possible and sort of match the site speed. So a number of things like that we're doing in the back end based on you know, billions of data points we have every month across the sites we represent to kind of build what we affectionately call our ideal ad stack technology that brings the right bidder at the right time for the right user. Um, it's really the thing we're focused on in our 
our data science team has done some amazing stuff there and a lot more to come. And how how long did it take to really implement or maybe shift the mindset internally? Maybe shift from, because I'm going to make assumption here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but moving from doing this work manually from a team dedicated to doing this to maybe using this machine learning or this AI or this like automation to make that team efficient and what happened to this team now? So it's something that we have been thinking about for years, Mm -hmm. building for, I don't know, a year and a half. We acquired a company that had done some good work Mm -hmm. in this space and then really implemented it's been a continual rollout, I guess. Features of this have been rolling out for a while, but taking on more of the true automated dynamic client-side server-side optimization has been in the last six months or so. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, it, and you're right. It was very much teams doing this historically. I think it's made mm-hmm. them smarter and be able to focus on more strategic things to work on with folks than simply which bidder should be here or not, mm-hmm. which a machine can make that call, right? You can run enough experiments and understand from the A-B test, okay, this one performs better or equally on server-side versus client-side, so let's kick it over to the server so we don't slow down the page, or mm. we know that this one provides forms roughly the same client-side, server-side, so we'll put this one server-side so we can give somebody that only performs well client-side the opportunity to be client-side that wouldn't necessarily be a top 10 bidder otherwise. And those are great machine choices to make and frankly, tough for people to do because you don't have the billions of data points and you can't do that. So I think it's letting people do people jobs and machines do machine jobs. And there is an element of, you know, is AI going to take over the world? No, it's just going to change what people (laughs) do. You know, instead of chat GPT, right? Instead of people being writers, they'll become incredible editors or curators of content or those things. So I don't think it gets rid of jobs internally some of the things we're doing or externally with this new technology it just shifts the focus to higher and better use things hopefully that are more fulfilling yeah from a journalism perspective i i hope we we never get to the point where ai becomes the writer <laughs> maybe yeah. i'm old school and maybe i love to get a, a good read from and i can literally re- like recognize how certain authors especially in our trade trade field how certain authors write and i'll be like oh yeah this is allison schiff from uh ad exchanger right i can i can yeah. pick pick out some of their style and i love that i love that yeah. that it gives like their signature writing um sure. and but i absolutely agree with you when it comes to when somebody I was on a call with a consultant maybe three year three months ago and she said yeah, but you know, your program is, is, uh, how you're, how are you going to grow the program when AI is taking over? And I'm like, I hope AI takes over. My program is going to be just, just perfect for this because it's yeah. now not going to, you know, it's not going to be as much manual work. And AI, like yeah. you said, AI is, gonna, yeah, it's not going to take over like that, guys. Um, I'm a big fan of automation, especially when it comes to making us more effective in what we do and spending less time on things that are not as important and helping us grow. Um, yep. and, I, and I do think, like you said, that, you know, machine learning or AI is going to help, help do some of that. I mean, when you think about the automatable tasks, it's usually the boring things anyways, right? Like who wants to just QA a zillion things or update line items or all of those things? Yeah. Usually the automatable things are the, the worst parts of people's jobs it's not we're taking away no for real and that's you know and that's why they template everything you know yeah. as a at least as a buyer perspective and i'm pretty sure adops does it too but um 
you template what you can so that you don't have to redo the the work that was already created. It's not about working hard anymore. It's about working smart. I don't care what people say. And um, I think the most popular and the most used setting in a DSP is the cloning or the duplicating button. Okay. <laughs> You've heard sure. it here first. But every single buyer... <laughs> That is listening to this can be like, oh yeah, for sure. I've used the duplicate or the clone buttons way more than anything else. Because it's like, oh, I've already done that. I just need to go update it or edit it, like you said. But I think it's a good segue into the second topic that I really wanted to to kind of ask your opinion, your professional start on is the growth of talent that's like I hear a lot of like, oh, we don't have any talent. And my, my fight is that, no, we have talent. It's just your onboarding is sucky. Literally. Yep. That's it. It's like you don't have time. And sometimes some companies just don't have the resource to really help that individual grow or that talent grow. And that's that's understandable. Uh, but talent, there's so much talent from entry level to senior. So you have an internal program where you do a little bit of what we do with the reach frequency, where you hire those individuals and you kind of build them up from scratch, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the offer of like potentially staying a long time, um, full time, I mean. But also I want us to talk about that management, uh, that leadership program that you have. So let's start with like the attic, yep. the first one. Like, what is it? And how can so... people get more information about it, too? Uh, yeah, freestar.com backslash careers, I think is what it is, but just go to our website and go check out the career portion. Um, the ad tech associate program is what we call it internally and started a few years ago, actually out of uh, sort of a BDR program where we were hiring junior folks into the sales team. And then we ended up actually having a number of those folks after being in sort of the sales role for six or nine months realized they wanted to do something else in the company once they actually learned enough about it. Oh, There's cool. plenty of sales jobs out there. And so people came in because they understood sales, came into sales, but then they learned about whether it was on sort of the demand side of our business or on publisher operations or something like that, that they're actually interested in transition. So we found these folks that had no formal ad tech experience ended up being incredible employees across the organization, but just had never been exposed to this and had no idea they wanted to do it. And so we've actually pivoted that, now formalized it. So about every six months or so, or I mean, six or nine months, I guess, we'll bring in a class of four or five people from any industry, any experience, anything that are willing yeah. and interested in learning. And so we put them through a 90-day program where they kind of rotate through the different uh, departments in the company, learn everything from product and engineering to revenue operations to sales and have the chance to sort of sit within those teams. And then at the end of the program, you know, assuming everything went well, which it has every single time so far, they kind of find their forever home in one of the different teams. And it's ranged from people on the audience development side into people on the publisher operation side and run the gamut. And these people came in not knowing what they wanted to do, but were fascinated by the industry and it, by all accounts, it's been wildly successful. So I think it's similar to what you're doing and giving people that otherwise wouldn't have ended up in this space a proper formal training. I think most of us learned it on the job, made it up, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made it up halfway as we were doing it and That's the you know, word. fake it till you make it a little bit. We we're allowing people to not have to fake it till they make it. They can actually learn it the right, right way. Yeah. <laughs> so, Practice what you're it. learning. <laughs> yeah. What is um what is like one of the challenges you still find with some of those uh people though? Like what would you say like, oh, you know, most some some of them do struggle with this or some of them you know it takes us a little bit of time when we go through this i don't know what is like a challenge or an opportunity i think uh, the challenge is i think there's certain groups that people have really enjoyed and maybe wanted to spend some more time in but to keep the program going we had to keep it relatively short whether with people i think it's two week stints and moving on so we maybe need to hone that if it's very clear that somebody has a passion for one thing, maybe we can kind of short circuit things and yeah. move them into that group more quickly. I, I think it's maybe happened once where the person was like, yeah, I knew this is what I wanted to do the whole time. I think everybody else has really enjoyed the holistic view of things. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, we're on our second class right now of doing this. And so, you know, we've got some experience, but not maybe enough to have found the pitfalls or all of the pitfalls yet and so far every single person that's come through it has been fantastic and i think that's an element of it's a little bit of a self-selecting group that is willing to go sign up for a job not knowing exactly what you're going to be doing other than learning and so i think it's a curious type person that does that and really one of my very favorite traits to hire for is curiosity and yeah. so i think it plays nicely there where it's a self-selecting group that puts themselves in wants to learn and then ends up being a great employee because they're curious along the way afterwards. Yeah, curiosity, like uh, always trying to find the answer, investigative. I think it's this. It's like I think it's the new definition of like a self starter. Like you know, whether to be yeah. a true self starter is like you gotta you gotta go find the answers on your own, but not be afraid to ask the question. Yep. You know, like I always like to when I train, I always like to say like when you come across a problem or a challenge, like time yourself. Don't allow this challenge to be <laughs> to be there for more than like three hours. Yeah. Maybe 30 minutes should be it. Um, definitely not more than a day. And then if you're not able to find the answer, then ask somebody. You know, it's about efficiency too. Um, because I remember as a trader, I would spend a couple of days trying to figure it out. I'm like, I must find it. This too shall pass. <laughs> and then next thing you know, my magic would be like, oh fam, here you go. And I'm like, oh should have asked this two days ago yes you should have and he's he's the one who used to say like time yourself after two hours just chat me and then i'll get to it when i get to you know things like that so yeah. time yourself folks you don't have to struggle by yourself uh, and was, it's not too long yeah not too long we've built some sort of formal escalation paths around that and mm -hmm. built in sort of that idea that figure this out yourself and then here's the people you should talk to if it gets to a certain point then it gets kind of taken up to this next level of sort of the leaders in the company and then we got above them sort of this captain's level who are really the firefighters on these things and then it built mm -hmm. i guess it goes to your question a little bit sort of defined paths of how you go from sort of the individual contributor side of things yeah. and then either a senior individual contributor or the more management side of things i think in the u.s we've historically had a problem with if you wanted to get promoted you had to manage people and we've realized through the pain and suffering of us all making these mistakes 
just because somebody's good at their job doesn't make them a good leader of people doing that job. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of set up different paths for people to go that way. And then sort of different hierarchies that come with different training and different access to the executive team or coaching. We've got sort of a leadership library of books that we'll send to any of the folks there, additional speaker series and things for the people on these different tracks. And so we've kind of built a level, um, kind of a leveled system of management training here over the course of last year as well. That's been really helpful. And I guess bring people in with no ad tech and then get them enough ad tech, train them up and kind of move them along a journey is something I think we've done a pretty decent job of. And our retention of employees has been really good as a result. I mean, honestly, we just we just talked about it, but the number one reason why people leave is, you know, a toxic environment. Leadership sucks after a while or things have shifted for them. But number yep, yep. two is a lack of growth. It's like, I don't know if I want to be a manager. Or I don't know. I tried being a manager and I was said no so many times or but like, I don't know how to become a manager and there's just no future for me. So let me just first go work for somebody else that's going to maybe pay me a little bit more. And then I get to be a manager now because now they're prioritizing the amount of experience I have in years with that leadership role versus, you know, being in a company and starting from scratch or whatever. Um, So I think it's really, really great that you have, and that's a part of the leadership program that you mentioned, right? Like anyone in the company has a choice of applying for that or how does it work? Like, how do you know when it's time for you to be a manager? Yes, we built a pretty formal process for both promotions and then getting into the more management side of things. We actually presented it to the whole company at all hands last week. I think kind of piggybacking on some of the things you said, I think a lot of companies are not clear Mm. what that path is. And so for any leaders out there, I'd recommend being very transparent about what it takes, both from these are the capabilities and qualities we want in our leaders, but also sort of here's the process. Mm. Got some sort of formal mentoring uh, programs in place too, where even before you become a manager of people, you become a mentor of somebody, figure out if you like this thing mm-hmm. versus just toss them in the deep end being like, I love being an account manager. I hate managing account managers. We can figure that out beforehand. Let them be sort of the team lead or take on a mentorship before we make the formal reporting structures. So that's an element of things. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of that whole career pathing thing. We've got a whole process where, you know, people encourage to speak to the manager. These are what I want to do. Mm, Here's the goals for the next six, nine, 12 months to get you there. And then kind of more formalized process. But I think it all just comes down to communication and being honest with people of here's the path because for better or worse, people make up the narrative in their head. If you don't tell them something, they'll make up their own story about the whole thing. And then the assumption are most likely negative, unfortunately, you know, I cannot grow here and I cannot do this, but you know, sometimes you just have to speak up for yourself and speak out. So um, I think that's super great. I think it's a great way to close um, the conversation. So if you wanted to leave us with some wisdom, right? What is something you would maybe share with your freshman self? Something you now know that you wish you knew when you first started started in your professional career or in, you know, in ad tech. It doesn't matter. What's the word of wisdom you want to leave us with? I think it is that curiosity point. There's two of them. What you just said a little bit, the worst they can say is no. Like in life, the worst they can say is no. So go ask the question, find out, hey, I want to be a manager, whatever it is. And if they say, actually, there's no management potential yet for this, but here's the path, at least you know the answer. Like they can say that. 
The other piece is that curiosity thing is make sure in your career, whenever you get sort of the weird feeling of like, oh, I'd like to learn more about that. Go chase it down a little bit. Don't divert all your energy to that kind of your point on not spending too long on problems. But if you're curious about how a product management team works, you know, to take somebody out to lunch, grab coffee with them and just understand mm. what does it really mean? Because most great careers have had twists and turns to them and people are very willing to share their experience because everybody loves talking about themselves so make them feel important go ask them how do you do xyz yeah you'd be amazed how many people will sit down and have lunch with you and i've had yeah. the chance to be on both the receiving and giving side of that yeah. and it's fulfilling when you feel like you're helping mentor somebody or figure out their own path and then on the receiving side of it you can find out without having to maybe make a mistake and go to a job or a company that you don't want. You can find out a lot just by asking the real questions. So maybe the answer here is just ask, I guess that's maybe the final, uh, <laughs> final recommendation for the day. Yeah. Right. I love that. Um, part of their assignment throughout the program is to do connection via LinkedIn and to take, to take yep. like coffee chats for this reason. It's like, I always mm -hmm. tell them like people actually love to help at their convenience. They do. So if they don't respond to you, don't take it personal. They probably have not checked LinkedIn in a few months. Um, yep. Or if they do say no, that's also okay. It's like one of the, like one less no to receive towards that one. Yes. You only did one. Yes. Um, and then I always say, like, you'll be surprised. People love to like, get on those chat calls, and especially if it's to yeah. help. Um, and then come with specific questions, like, what do you think about this? I'm at this part of this program where I'm learning programmatic. What do you think I should do in order to find a job at the end of the program or things like that? So thank you so much for sharing some wisdom today. Thank you so much for sharing what how amazing what Freestar is doing. I think is really great. I don't think there's enough program like ours out there. Um, and I really commend y'all for doing, doing such a, such a good work. Like, Hey, even though it's three to four people every six months, it's still three to four people that have that exposure. Yeah. Um, and it's a great way to test your employees too. <laughs> like, this is actually a great person. This is probably not for them. Um, but, but that's a, that's a great way to, to just really, really grow the company in a way that, um, promotes, loyalty but also what is it it's not it's, i forgot the word i'm gonna leave with loyalty i'm gonna say loyalty i think that's great um so it thank is. you so much i really appreciate the chat here today and and the flip side appreciate what you're doing teaching people how to do this sort of the right way and more holistically and maybe folks can avoid some of the potholes you and i probably hit along the way Oh yeah, I, I I'm really frank <laughs> in this program. I'm like, this is not your typical YouTube lessons, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But you will find out the good, the bad, the ugly, and the sexy about programmatic. And these are all the mistakes I make. You don't have to make it because here's how I fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so even though it's a little bit focused on the buy side at the moment, it's definitely like it's definitely had great success and it's growing. So I'm really, really proud of where we're heading. Um, but also, like I said, I, I will, I will definitely, we'll definitely keep it up with Kirk because I think he brings a lot of leadership and a lot of wisdom to the industry. So if you have any questions about what Kurt is doing, the free star program, I will have all of the links in the show notes of the audio or on the YouTube description. And then if you want to keep in touch with Kurt, I'll drop his LinkedIn. How else can they keep in touch with you, Kurt, if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Um, obviously, there's various links on the website to contact the folks across the organization. So please reach out, whether you are 
an advertiser looking to advertise or an employee. We've even got a dream job post up there. If you're just interested in learning more about Freestar, please apply and we will see if we've got the right fit. Oh, that's super cool. Well, great. Well, thank you again for dropping by and we'll talk to you soon. Indeed. Really enjoyed it. Have a great day.